Support for this episode of Good One comes from the Wondery Podcast WikiHole. You know what a WikiHole is. We've all been there. You look up a certain celebrity to see how tall they are and whether they've said anything cringe about vaccines. Before you know it, you're 10 minutes into reading about something called a toast sandwich. That's basically what it's like to listen to WikiHole, only funnier. Every episode is a new rabbit hole to explore with host Darcy Carden and her favorite comedian friends, loaded with unforgettable new information you'll literally never need to know. And that's why it's great. Follow WikiHole on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to WikiHole ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. You did call me a hack. <laughs> no, I, you called yourself a hack. And then I <laughs> imagine I was like, I had interviews. So as a hacky comedian, what is that like? Hello, and welcome to Good One, a podcast about jokes. I'm your host, Jesse David Fox. Each episode, a guest comes on to play a clip of one of their jokes and then discusses how, and more importantly, why they wrote it. This week's guest is Ricky Velez, a former Nightly Show correspondent who's probably best known for his role in last summer's King of Staten Island, which he uh, also served as a producer on. Ricky started doing stand-up at 19, which is young. And now, 13 years later, he's releasing his first special. It's called Here's Everything, and it premieres on HBO on Saturday, October 23rd. Stand-ups have been talking about having kids as long as comedians have had kids. For Ricky, however, whose son was born three years ago, it's not just kids' tendency to say the darndest things. It, it's how it changes how he sees the world and approaches being a person. The joke we're going to play from the special represents a, a certain awakening to how much changes when you become a parent. So here is Ricky Velez. I'm not kidding. I was at the airport the other day. I'm taking a piss. I guess this guy needs to take a shit. He got like a five-year-old kid with him. What do you do with that kid? You can't just leave him in the middle of the airport. You can't even leave a bag. <laughs> so what do you do with this child? I'll tell you what this dude did. He brought the kid inside the stall with him, non-handicapped, with the suitcases, tight squeeze, tight. Tight squeeze. And the kid just started screaming, Dad, I won't watch you poop, man. And you can hear them fighting, like you can hear them. And his dad's like, it's cool, it's fine. Come on, we're traveling. Remember, mom said this was gonna be fine. Come on, big boy stuff, say it back. Big boy stuff, big boy stuff. And the kid wasn't out, he's like, dad, I want to watch you poop. And then you can hear them fighting for the lock. You can hear the lock. You can hear the ch 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 And the dad's getting desperate. He's like, no, 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 no. And then the door slammed open and this dude was just taking a shit while holding onto the back of his kid's t-shirt. And I looked him dead in the eyes and I was like, no one told me about this. How do I know about that? How is that not known? That's insane. I don't come from that. My parents didn't travel with me, therefore they never shit in front of me. 
That's a rich man's game. I don't come from shit in front of you, kid money. <laughs> Clap your hands if your parents shit in front of you. That's wealth. How is that not the commercial for condoms? How is that not it? There's numerous commercial about condoms that's like, oh, it's thin, it feels like it's real. No. It's a very simple commercial. This is a commercial for condoms. Should just be a little kid standing there and his knees are buckling and shit. And he just looks up. He's like, do you like to poop alone? And then Trojan, and that's the whole commercial. It's very simple. It's very simple. That's the only time I ever, like, I never ever believed in putting my kid on a leash. <laughs> but after I saw that shit, I was like, my kid might be put on a leash. Like, I ain't gonna shit in front of him. I'll just put the leash underneath the door. <laughs> Yo, is that you? That, that's you, right? Yo, that's you bark twice. That's you, right? I am here with Ricky Velez. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. Uh, before we get into it, I should just make sure this story is essentially true. This is a thing that happened. The airport? Yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah this was a thing that happened. So, yeah, can you tell me about what is the story behind the story? Like, what it really happened? Where Where were you? When was this? So I was, uh, where when it happened, I remember I, we hadn't had our kid yet. And my wife was pregnant. And my wife told me she was pregnant when I came home from the cellar, Mm -hmm. like on a Saturday night at like one, two o'clock in the morning. And after that, like, I was like, I can't smoke cigarettes anymore. I can't smoke weed. I can't do this. I can't do that. I got to be a dad now. And I'm like, I got like, so, and then like the next week I was on the road Mm -hmm. and I realized for years, like I really pay no attention to kids. Mm -hmm. And it's like, think about it. Like I work at night. I like, or I'm working on a set. Like yeah. I don't really see kids, and if they're on a set, they're not really kids. Like those are like aliens, those yeah, yeah. little weirdos. <laughs> but um, <laughs> they uh, uh, so I just like started watching parents, and I was in the LaGuardia Airport, mm. um, my favorite airport. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was the best part about pandemic. They finally fixed it. Yeah, yeah. But um, I was... after years of being like, we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna actually make this a real airport. I promise. And I was, uh, I went to the bathroom and I just watched this guy like shuffle his kid into the bathroom with him. And I had never seen anything like that in my life. And I was like, oh yeah, that's, that's, everybody's like, it's always diapers. It's Mm -hmm. always like, you have to change diapers. You're going to be up all night. It's like, no, you're going to like have to drag a child into the most intimate of times (laughs) you have with yourself and have to like, it's just, it, it, it was just crazy to watch. And I remember, like, the guy ended up, like, basically giving up. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't even understand how he finished using the restroom. But he, uh, he, by the time he came out, me and him were, like, washing hands <laughs> next to each other. And I was like, I just found out I'm having a kid. I had no clue. You, wait, did you tell this Yeah, guy? I told the guy I wasn't going to sit there and not, like... I was like, this is like making me oh very God. upset. And that's how I learned how to be a father was really just watching people in public with their kids and seeing how like I would want to go about it. And I mean, at this point, I just make sure if I'm traveling with my kid, my wife's there yeah, yeah. because it's it's that's a lot to take on for one person. What did he say when you told him that? 
He's like, this is what it's he, like. He was like, this is just the beginning. I was like, I was like, there's more to this. Like, how much more do you, do you have to share with somebody that just doesn't get it? That's yeah. the other thing. Kids doesn't get it. Yeah. Being naked, that doesn't kid doesn't care about that. <laughs> this guy was just pants down. Yeah, in front of like businessmen and me in LaGuardia Airport, and just it it, it it was probably like the most honest thing I've ever seen. Yeah, it's. I remember I was staying at a friend's place, and I I was in the bathroom, and not even thinking of it, and their kid just came in because like the bathroom was not a place where there's uh, vault. <laughs> we've been trying. My kid's three now, and we've been trying to like really get him to understand privacy because he'll get so hype when people come over the house. He's like, yeah. yeah. One of our friends, Jenna, she's, he's like, Jenna's here. And then like, Jenna would be like, I'm going to go use the restroom. And then he'll just be like, I come. And it's like, no, you can't do that, man. That's real weird. <laughs> um, so when this happens, what happens to this memory? Are you like, oh, I got to talk about some stage immediately? Or is it just a thing you store of like, oh, this is a weird thing? Like, how does it sort of ruminate before it's like, okay, this is part of my material. I build on stage. I don't yeah. really write. I build all of it on stage. So it was just time and time again, just trying to make it into a full story, what I was learning of it for, from it, what I was taking away from it. Also, why don't I know about this? Why? Like, <laughs> And I don't know because I my parents didn't travel yeah. to it. We camped. <laughs> like we did poor people vacations. We camped. We drove to Florida a lot. <laughs> there was just not like we we didn't. Re oh, I mean, we went to the Dominican Republic. Like we had like that, but like we were adults at that time. Yeah, yeah. You know, it wasn't. So, yeah. So just me taking away from like, why don't I know about this? Like my parents never ever would take three boys all <laughs> that young anywhere. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, watching that was just the craziest thing, and then trying to understand. Like why, like that's not in my sex ed class. Yeah, is a really hard thing to try to figure out because it's like they try to scare you with all the worst things. They make you watch that. What was that birthing video? Do you remember? Yeah, yeah. yeah. What was it? Miracle of Life. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember the Miracle of Life? Mm -hmm. That was scarring. Yeah. I remember where I was sitting when I saw that. That's how traumatizing. You know that what? Was. So do I. I, re I remember like my friends in the room, we were like, oh, we about to go see. And then it started happening. We were like, we don't like any of that. <laughs> That's terrible. So all so it, was it a thing right away? Like you were going to show. So we were like that weekend, you're like, I, on the way here, this thing happened. And then just talking about through yeah. all these different ideas and seeing which sort of sticks. Well, I'm lucky enough to be getting up on stage that much. I am obsessed with getting on stage. It's my favorite thing to do. And um, when your hobby gets to be your job, it's the coolest thing in the world. So I just, I get enough time to play up there and have fun and learn. And um, it's my favorite place to learn. Yeah. Yeah. So the joke essentially has four sections. So I'd love to talk about each section, sort yeah. of how they built and sort of how it gets to the sort of the bigger thing. So the setup is... A little bit what we're talking about, which is sort of be when you become a parent, it makes you look at parents differently. Um, as you say, you see parents, and you think your life sucks, and you're like, "That's that's me now." Yeah. Can you, talk, can you talk about that realization? I mean, I just think like when you're young, you're just at a place where you're just you're thinking about yourself all the time. That was the one thing my child like really helped me with was like thinking outside of Ricky, mm -hmm. and I like you. You're just caught up in just being you and what's important to you and then like 
once it happens to you and you have that kid and you realize like that's your day to day, that's mm-hmm. why you're doing what you're doing and that's who you're trying to put in better position. Um it it it's day and night. It really is. And for like for years I was violently selfish. Yeah. And uh just in my own world. And I think that's where the idea of going, haha, your life sucks. And it's like, no, that guy's life is a lot more full than mine mm-hmm. is completely at that time. Why is that a important frame for before you tell the story, why is it important to sort of get this sort of idea out there? Like what is it sort of what are you trying to communicate to the audience before they hear this story? I honestly think it goes back to the idea of like if you're thinking about having kids, it's time to start looking at other people having kids and like i mean a lot of my friends that had kids i I was the earliest out of all my friends to Mm. have kids and um on purpose (laughs) so like all my friends that had got it i was like yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i was like on purpose you wanted to be i I had my kid on purpose um a lot of my friends that went ahead and had kids so early like a lot of their dreams had to stop a lot of their Mm -hmm. um their lifestyles had to stop so i just think if you really think you can have a kid and you know i have i have some reckless friends in my in my circle that are like, i could have a kid I'm like oh okay let's see yeah. how that turns out yeah there is something about because you have that part beforehand you're telling the story about this guy but it does allow the audience to imagine you being like i am this guy like i'm not doing mm-hmm. this but it's like you see you being like that guy's everybody that's why that's why like that joke I feel is so universal because like if you haven't had kids, you're thinking about it. And if you had kids, you've done it. Yeah. And that's where I think that joke hits so hard. Yeah. So then the, when you're telling the story, that's already inherently so funny. What do you, how do you sort of get it funnier? What do you like, what are the things that you feel like you need to do accentuate to make sure that like, I like to do this with all my jokes and I look at it and I think it's because, which is kind of cool. My brother was a graphic artist here mm-hmm. in this building for Vulture. <laughs> um, yeah. But like, I like to paint the picture. Yeah. Yeah. I like to paint the picture of the lock. Everybody, when I, when I start doing the lock, everybody's picturing it. Mm-hmm. When I start doing the, the kid, big boy stuff, daddy, yeah. big boy stuff. Like, everybody can see it happening as it goes. And I think that's the coolest thing you can do in stand-up is really just paint the picture that everybody gets on without showing them anything. Yeah, the tight squeeze thing. When you keep on saying tight squeeze, you just sort of (laughs) set it up. And then everyone's been in an airport bathroom, but somehow like... You're like, okay, and then you're just not Even if you're in there alone, it's terrible, (laughs) man. (laughs) Taking a shit at the airport is, first of all, like one of the worst situations you can be in at the airport. And then I just... the the whole idea of all those bags and then like we haven't even talked about security, but that's what that guy had to go through with that kid and making mm-hmm. sure it's it's so hectic. The airport is so hectic to begin with. That's why everybody's bugging out at them nowadays. But like it's just a place where your anxiety is heightened. Yeah. And yeah, just watching this guy go through it just it never made me feel more connected <laughs> to somebody taking a shit. <laughs> it's also like there's something about the part where you go like you can't even leave you can't leave a kid out there you can't you're not even allowed to leave like a bag out there it's the airport I think it, it's in, it's important to the audience is like oh this has to happen like there's no other choice oh yeah yeah you can't I get nervous to get up at the airport and like put garbage in the garbage can without taking my bag so mm-hmm. like but no this is this is the rules yeah this is it's your kid goes back to the fact of like you don't 
feed them, they call the cops. It's yeah. not like, like when your friends are like, it's like having a dog. It's like, no, <laughs> yeah. no, it's not. Yeah, and there's something about like being private in a public space and like and all of that where it's like when you have a kid there, they don't distinguish between private spaces and public spaces. Well, that's what the best part about kids is they're so violently honest. And yeah. like my kid, he's now coming to the point where he has opinions and he's like, let's make a deal. And it's like, <laughs> no, I'm not making a deal with you. You don't have anything to sh- Come on, you don't have money. What do you yeah. mean you're going to make a deal? <laughs> but um, yeah, he's great. Yeah, but at the same time, they get these opinions and they have these thoughts, and like that kid that day put his foot down, and when that happens with a kid, it's miserable. Were there times where you told the story longer, like the story part, where you were like, "Oh, should I do it?" Where I'm, you know, starting earlier in the time of the airport. Like, were there were there times where this jokes was much bigger or, or anything like that? No, I think this was the biggest it got. Um, really, at first, I think it started with just the kids screaming in the bathroom and me being like, I don't like that. I, I don't want to do that. Mm. And then then came the idea of like, why have I never seen that? Mm. This is a rich people thing. Like this is this is poor people don't know about that. And then the condom stuff. Yeah, so yeah. like, I think it built out in that yeah, way. Yeah. So the third part of the joke, which is yeah. about why you never experience this, which is like, oh, this is a rich person situation, yeah. which is yeah, funny yeah. to be like, this is this is what rich, this is how, when you're rich, it's what it's like. Imagine. Yeah, it's a sign of wealth. It's like, do you remember when, uh, do you remember when, uh, like I've read about this, that kings, if they had gout, that meant they were wealthy because yeah, they were yeah. eating all the meat. Like that's the new gout, like shitting in front of your children <laughs> is the new gout. Like, yeah. You see that, you're like, oh, look at them. They, they, they're making money. So what is it about having a kid that made you think about class differently or even how you grew up and those distinctions in terms of just like what you had access to and didn't have access to? I mean, daily I, I see things within my child that I never got to be a part of, and it's, it's, it's awesome. Um, I think everybody, as a parent, just your goal is to be better than your parents. And mm. like, I Dude, I mean, my kid has a stock portfolio. Like, it's different. It's different, and I'm very proud of it, and it's my favorite thing in the world. And uh, he just, he, he he's the best kid. He's happy. He, yeah. He's in swim class. He's in a private school. So I just, I just feel lucky, honestly. And do you not have, I think it's a Chris Rock joke, which is like, I can't relate to my kids. They grew up rich. Oh, I feel that. I feel like he should have to start at one point, like, or just give him a year of being poor once he's like 16, 17. Just, yeah. just give him one year of just like figure it out from here. Yeah, yeah. Um, I wouldn't want that, honestly. Um, I've, I've I, you know, I had to do things coming up in comedy that I wish I never had to do based on not having money. Like, mm. I, I sold weed for a long time, I put myself in weird positions doing that. Um, it was like that's not where I ever like would want my kid to yeah. be. So, as long as you keep them grounded, I think they can be good people. Yeah. So then the the condom part. So which feels like, you know, I, it makes sense. You're like, okay, this is all grounded, grounded. And then like, what is like the big joke? And how did you get to that idea? What did you find funny about that? Where did that come from? I just remember health class. Yeah. I, I went to school in New York City. They made you take health class, and it was not my favorite class. And time and time again, like like I said, I have friends that had kids not on purpose, and like there's so many times they could have just been like, 
hey, watch this. Yeah. And me and my friends would have been like, yeah, we're going to wear condoms. <laughs> I don't like shitting in front of kids. That's a weird, weird way to go about life. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I mean, I think I just take away from that part. It's just funny. Yeah. It's just funny because you watch those commercials on condoms and they're always the weirdest thing. Like they're never just... They're never just honest. It's yeah. never ever like, just wear this and you won't have a kid. It's like, it's thin. <laughs> and, or this one has yeah. this on it. And it's like, why is there a flashlight on this? Con <laughs> like, it's so weird. So it's just like, yeah, they should just show that, like that kid. Yeah. I feel like, I must have read that somewhere, that somewhere along the way, the condom companies realize they sell more condoms if they make it seem like condoms are fun and not condoms are there to protect you. That's why all ads are just like, this makes sex better opposed to like, this is the goal of the why you're using this. Why don't they just, they should like do it very simply where it's just like they show like the average estimate of raising a child. <laughs> like just those stats. And like, the cost of condoms. Yeah, just be like, would you like a Lamborghini or someone that's going to steal from your wallet once you, he gets older? Like it's. That's how I feel about yeah. it. I, I guess uh, condoms need to be fun. Like that, what? That's because they're such a bummer. That's the truth. That If that's the reason they yeah. do it, it's like, oh, because they're such a bummer. <laughs> Wear condoms, kids. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I heard you talk about one time, you know, like for the most part, you talk it out on stage, but sometimes you said you'll talk it out with other comedians, maybe not this joke, but can you talk about how that might be part of your process? Who do you talk to? What is that like? Oh, it's always, you know, when uh, I think the, Coolest way to go about building a joke is finding it in conversation. Like, just say it's me and Pete, or me and Aziz, or me and Mulaney, and like we're sitting in a car and we're belly laughing. How do we turn that onto mm -hmm. the stage? And that's what I like to do. Yeah. Was there a moment with the joke where you're like, oh, this joke works? Like, is there a moment you have where you're like, oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. When, when, it, when it starts hitting, like, that joke probably has jokes per minute in that joke is pretty crazy yeah yeah is that important to you yeah yeah i love i love jokes per minute i think daniel tosh is one of my favorites uh ever based on that first special mm -hmm. that first special in the first 15 minutes he's knocked out like six 60 70 jokes it's unbelievable it gets at something that i feel like when i think of your comedy there's like your comedy is both I think of it as being really sensitive and thoughtful at times, and also like you want to crush. It, <laughs> and I did you and just I, call me a hack in no, the nicest way? <laughs> no, it's the opposite. It is. I mean, there's a lot of, but there is to a non-comedian, those instincts seem in different. Which is like, I want to be honest and also, but sort of like have emotions on stage, and also the desire to like make audiences laugh, like hackier comedians might like the comedians are what just, are you saying right now i'm giving you a compliment but somehow <laughs> you turned it around as if i'm giving you an insult <laughs> i'm not actually neither i think it's accurate to say you are sensitive on stage which i think is good i yes. also think it's good that you do well by oh, making okay, the okay, laugh a lot. okay 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 i'll take that however <laughs> sensitivity and big laughs are a contrast not one that's impossible to do but is a thing and i feel like that is important to you. Do you, do you, do you I think it's important um, that when I walk off stage people feel connected to me in some sort of way and yeah. that's why I talk about the things I like to talk about and uh, the and the sensitivity stuff because I feel like 
I noticed it when I started talking about anxiety early on in my career and people would come up to me or DM me or uh, contact me just to be like, thank you so much. I've never had somebody, uh, I've never felt connected to anybody like that. I never had somebody explain it in that way. And I think that's important. Yeah. And um, yeah, I just think that's how you go ahead and you start creating a fan base as well. But you, but you also want to kill. Yeah, but I kill. That's the thing. Like I just like I've been uh, like yeah. I, I I love to kill. Yeah. Like and there's no comic that doesn't. Like yeah. I don't. I don't think comics write jokes and go, oh, that's gonna do too well. <laughs> um, you you know you've been doing stand up for over a decade. You had yeah. I assume an hour of material before the pandemic. Also, mm-hmm. it was announced you were doing the special a year before it was shot. Um, yeah. which is say you had time to think about what it was going to be. And so um, last year, you're on Vulture's list of comedians you will and should know. And in the questionnaire, you said, this pandemic has made me really take a step back and think about the content I want to put out in the world. Contrary to popular belief, I think artists should take their time with their content in quotes and go through the process to make art in quotes. Um, (laughs) What were your thoughts you were having during this time? What sort of things were you thinking about and trying to assess about your content slash art? I don't know. I just come from a place like I come from a theater background. I went to a performing arts school. Um, and I think when pandemic had started, I think a lot of people were just throwing a lot of shit against the wall and seeing what stuck. And I think that's a very quick way to become tired and mm-hmm. also make other people tired of your shit. Yeah. I, I do. I just was watching so many people do like, the same how many comedians i watched started doing like workout videos i was like who wants to watch a comic work out like what's funny about a workout mm-hmm. it's miserable like so i don't know i every to each his own but i think art takes time and i don't think it's just shot very fast yeah did the hour that you had changed or your approach changed what changed with that that time what do you feel like for you that you besides the you know, the art that you decided to focus on, how did that change? Um, I just, you know, I don't agree with every, like I consider myself very liberal, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I think it's okay to critique that. Mm-hmm. And um, in times I do, and I thought that was important for me to do because mm-hmm. where I'm from and the people I'm around and uh, the people I love and that are in my family, I just like, try to speak for those people and put that voice out there because I don't think my voice is out there. Yeah. So um, if someone saw, like, were everything you did in the hour, was that stuff that you had before? No. The first, the first, uh, the first opening, the opening is brand new material. Mm-hmm. Um, I talk about, a, I got hit in the head with a pigeon and that was like a real story that happened to me. <laughs> It's actually really funny. My friend was with me and he took a picture of me moments after. And he's a great photographer. His name yeah. is Marcus Russell Price. He's always on the road with uh, me and Pete. And uh, he just knew how much I hate germs. So when he saw that happen to me, he just whipped out his mm-hmm. camera and took a picture. And I was the maddest person you've ever seen. <laughs> but no, uh, a lot of new material, a lot of new uh, tags and things. Um, I was lucky enough, I got... I was back on the road two weeks after I got my vaccine and I just, we went five months straight yeah, running it, flipping it. Um, 
I mean, even some of the callbacks in it were brand new. Um, but yeah, I I really like how it was a good mixture of both. Yeah. What was it? Did you like the process of, I mean, usually specials, they just sort of come about when people are working, they're touring or whatever, and then they're like, time to do a special, and then maybe a comedian will be like, okay, this next month or whatever, I'll really grind it out. But to have both time off, and then it's like, okay, you have a finish line. Well, I had... I had a date yeah. before pandemic. Like, we had the date. I it was, was going to be August 2020. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was going to, no, it was going to be April. Yeah. I was going to shoot it in April of the that year. And so, like, we were ready to go, but I'm happy I had that year. I'm happy I had that year to even, like, spend more time with my wife and kids mm-hmm. and, like, take a step back from all the King of Staten Island stuff and figure out like, I spent that year writing with Judd Apatow and Judah Miller. Like I had such an amazing, like lucky experience that no one can like say they had, like I spent my pandemic writing daily and it was a great experience. Yeah, I wanna ask a little bit about working with Judd. Um, Can you just sort of, the story of sort of how it started beyond just sort of like you were on the King of Staten Island. Can you talk about both that moment after your audition and sort of then how he sort of, you know, I, I sp- when I interviewed <laughs> Judd last summer, he seemed to like really take a, take a shining to you. So can you talk about sort of getting, you know, caught up in the Judd? I think <sighs> so. Judd, um, I wasn't really on his radar. Um, yeah. And Pete was begging for me to get an audition, which is that's who he is. He's the best. And I went in, I auditioned, and that night I had to do a show with Judd at Largo in LA. It was like the worst situation. Like, so I was like, if I bomb and then have to do stand up mm-hmm. in front of him, it doesn't like, but I had a really great audition. It went really well. Mm-hmm. And then that night, the shows, we did two shows at Largo that night, couldn't have gone better. And like I saw him standing side stage while I was up there, so like I did two different fifteen minutes on it of just bangers, yeah, just yeah. like going for it. And then I went back home to New York, and I was back in New York, and I was sitting in bed with my wife, and I got a phone call from Judd, and he was like, "Hey, want to write on the movie?" I'm like, "What? <laughs> what are you talking about, man? What are you talking?" And then he basically sent me the whole entire script to do a punch up on. Yeah, and I was like, "Oh, cool!" And I thought that was just going to be the only time I did it. And then basically he was like, how about you're on set every single day? And I was like, yeah, that'd be great. And quickly me and him just started to relate and have fun and just enjoy each other's Mm -hmm. company. And we just like kind of became friends. Like it was really weird. And uh, he's still my boss at times, but like like he he makes it easy. I really always enjoy Judd because he will let you go as far as you mm-hmm. want with an idea and sometimes he'll he'll reel it back and be like, "No, nah, this is what we're doing. This makes more sense." And he gives you answers on why that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't just tell you. And um he just kept putting me in great positions and um yeah, we've been kicking it for a while. <laughs> go to some Mets games together. I saw Bruce Springsteen with him. It was awesome. I cried. It was nuts. I knew nothing about Bruce Springsteen. I didn't know the story. Did you the Broadway? Yeah. <laughs> and I've known nothing about Bruce Springsteen ever. Like I didn't that's not I grew up in yeah, 50 yeah. Cent Town, dude. I didn't know Bruce, the boss. I didn't mm-hmm. know that's what we were going to call him. 
I get that he came out. People was boss. I thought they were booing him. I was like, this is a weird show. <laughs> 15 minutes into that Broadway show, I was using my mask to wipe my tears. It was amazing. Um, you, you one time put it that he makes people feel comfortable being creative. And it's interesting phrasing. Do you feel like you're ever uncomfortable being creative? And what does it mean to then? I think be- when you're working with people of that high stature and people that have like the past that he has and uh, the current, like how people look at him and like, yeah, you're a little nervous to mm. start spitting ideas out because his idea is usually the best. Yeah. And, um, he there was none of that there was none of that a lot of the stuff he preaches is uh like lose the ego Mm. and um i think that made just just made it comfortable to work yeah we'll be right back with more ricky velez support for this episode of good one comes from the wondery podcast wiki hole do you know when crystal pepsi was discontinued Or what was in Al Capone's vault? Or which famous meteorologist is Lenny Kravitz's second cousin? If not, then you haven't spent enough time on Wikipedia. But that's okay, because you can learn it all on the new podcast Wikihole from Smartless Media. Discover the craziest rabbit holes in Wikipedia with host Darcy Carden and her favorite comedian friends as they bring the cyber frontier directly to your tympanic membrane. And if you listen to Wikihole, you'd learn that that's the science-y term for eardrum. Wikihole is a hyperlink roller coaster, starting out on one Wikipedia page and then going from link to link to link to link to link, careening through trivia, oddities, and unexpected connections until everyone wonders, how did we get here? Follow Wikihole on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Wikihole ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or an Apple Podcasts. Canva presents Unexplained Appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? The real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. back with Ricky Velez. Um, so you're in, you're in the middle of developing a, a show with Judd and Judah Miller, and I'm sure you can't talk about details about it, and that's totally fine. But I wanted to ask about a thing about what it's like to work with Judd specifically. And from what I understand, he'll often be like, you'll start with whatever the true story is. And then there's like a re, and he has people rewrite and rewrite, rewrite to a point where it is more emotionally true in some ways, but less about the autobiographical details. And I just want to know what it feels like to think about what is true. How can I express the truth of my story that it's not expressing the autobiographical details of my story? Like, what does it make you think about truth as it relates to you and the audience? Hmm. Like, I'll use other people's movies as an example yeah. to be like with Kamel and Emily. Kamel and Emily had an experience where she was in the hospital mm-hmm. and they wrote essentially the, the first draft, I believe, of the movie was basically like, this is exactly what her life was like. And then Judd was like, well, make him this and make him go through. He is possibly having an arranged marriage and making little changes to his life to make it a more a story that makes more sense to an audience 
that almost it feels more honest than the actual details of Kamel's life or King of Staten Island. It's like I think what Judd does better than other people is he really develops characters heavily. We know everything about these characters while we're writing for them. So they it feels so real that because it's easy to write for somebody you know, even yeah. if they're not real. Mm-hmm. And you spend that much time doing character development in, in writing with Judd. Yeah. Yeah. What's it like to think of yourself as a character? Myself as a character? I mean, isn't that part of the game? Yeah. And what is that like <laughs> for people who that isn't part of the game? Um, It's weird because it's like where in in the script how do i feel about being a character or like in this industry like i, I think, don't know i think it's i mean it's all of it i mean like the person you're on stage it's you know you I are i think the i think i think the on stage is the most honest i am and mm-hmm. that's where i feel no one can change that that's where i have full control i like being on stage i'm I'm excited for the special to come out because I think that's the most honest mm. thing to me. That's how my brain works. That's how I'm thinking. You know, you kind of come in here, you got to do podcasts and you got to do the rest of that. You're kind of watching your step nowadays yeah, when yeah. you do it. So when you're doing stand up and you're deciding to be who you are and you're going to be okay with it, I think that's honest. Yeah. It reminds me, um, you were on pause with Sam J, and, yeah. you, and you and Sam had a, an interesting debate, <laughs> let's say, and uh, about the idea of going through an old tweets. And I think you voiced something that I'm not sure I heard before, which is essentially like no one is forcing anyone to be a famous person to pursue international or whatever mainstream show business success. Like there, you can be a comedian; you don't have to work at whatever job. I have a yeah, I have a lot of friends that do those jobs. Yeah. And I am very lucky. And uh, I get to do certain jobs and be a part of things because I like I I I did it correctly yeah. in the, to get here. And I mean people like complaining about Twitter and the rest of that. It's like you picked up the phone, <laughs> you tweeted it out and now you want a job about the person you were just talking yeah, about. Yeah. It's it's it blows my mind, and I I love how people don't understand that like networks are backed by commercials and the rest of that. It's like wh- how how do you think this worked? Is there any part of you that you know what makes you want to pursue a, a mainstream show business? I don't know if I want to. Yeah. I, I don't know what I want to do truly. I just want to continue to do stand up that people like. I think my stand up kind of sits on the line of what's okay and what's mm-hmm. not. And I think at the same time you can do that uh, correctly. Yeah. What does that mean? I I like. I mean, I don't think you know. I don't think I've spent any time taking people down that I wasn't at one point. Mm. And I think that's that's how I like to put out my judgment. I'll judge based on things I've done personally. Yeah. Um. I want to talk more about the special. And specifically, as you're talking about how it, it, you know, parenting is a big part of it. And especially, you know, the the special opens with you saying you're coming to terms with that your brain doesn't work good. And I, and yeah. I feel like I, I want to talk about what parenting represents. Uh, and if you're comfortable, you had a I feel like you've had a particularly intense period around the idea of parenting where five years ago your mom passed away. And first, uh, I'm really sorry for your loss. That, Thank you. That really sucks. Um, and then around the same time, it seems that 
you lost contact with your father or your, you, something happened around there. And then also you're in this position where you're about to have a kid. And, yeah. and you know, what were you thinking about parenting in this period? You know, this is also a period where the nightly show ends. You're doing stand up seemingly much more. How did it all sort of stew together? What was it about? I think the nightly show was way done at this point. Mm -hmm. um, at this point, I was doing a lot of stand-up. Uh, I actually had just linked up with Aziz. Um, I was basically going on the road with Pete, and he was headlining. Then I would feature, and mm -hmm. then I would kill so hard, they would bring me back a month later. Mm -hmm. And... Um, I think when all that stuff happened, you know, I come from a place where like there's a stigma about therapy and the rest of that, and I really stayed away from it for a long time. But once like I was put in the position of like I didn't want all my problems mm -hmm. on the back of my kid, so I went ahead and dealt with them head on. Yeah. No. Yeah. And I mean, don't get me wrong, I still sit in the grief of my mother daily. Yeah. Um, there's like all this stuff that's been going on, doing late night, doing the rest of that. Like, it just sucks yeah. that she's not a part of it. Yeah. I brought my mom to Montreal Comedy Festival. Yeah. When I got Variety Top <laughs> 10. My mom, my mom, yo, this is real shit. My mom, <laughs> when I didn't get new faces, I auditioned for new faces once. Mm -hmm. My mom wrote a whole post cursing out Jeff Singer. Which is funny now because yeah, yeah, he's she, gone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like, and she was like, "If you get Variety Top Ten, I'm coming to Montreal with you." And then I got Variety Top Ten. We went to Montreal together. So, and knowing that, what did you want to talk about when you were talking about as it relates to your parenting, and you were talking about the parenting that you're exposed to? What did you feel like you wanted to express, and what did you think you hoped to express with the special? In the special, yeah. Yeah, just trying to be better, making sure I never, ever uh, am physical with my child, making sure that, um, like, you know, I didn't grow up in a place where it just, like, hugs happened a lot, you yeah. know? Like, it, emotion was something that you held to yourself. Mm -hmm. And I think later in life that will, and you just learn, like, listen, man, I have, a, like, on both sides of my family, I had addiction. Yeah. On both sides of my family, I had mental illness. I had an uncle that used to have to check into jail on Fridays. He would get to work, and then he would get on Friday go check into mm -hmm. jail. Like we, I had another uncle that's like driven through police barricades, and like year after year is just like, oh, those are bad people. And now, as an adult, I look back on it. It was like, no, those are a lot of people that needed a lot of help. Yeah. So I don't know if that's what I'm pushing in the special, but. I'm really just looking back on, I think this special and why it's named Here's Everything is I'm really explaining who I am mm. and it's also the first time I'm putting every, anything on television. Yeah. I have no stand-up on television, ever. Did you consider doing a half hour or, do you, or did you want to wait until you could do an hour? No, there was no, I don't want to do a half hour. I like skipping steps. Mm -hmm. I've done it a lot. And I did not, like even, even when it go back to JFL, like I never did new faces. Yeah. I'm happy about that. I didn't need to be with those. <laughs> those new faces. I just didn't. It didn't make sense. How much is stand-up a thing that you use to process? How much do you need to process before I do stand-up? Stand-up like, stand does more for me than I do for it, I would say. Hmm. Um, stand-up, uh, like for years, especially after my mom passed, I just spent days and days in comedy clubs, nights and nights and nights, just trying to have some sort of connection and even saying things on stage about like that, 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 but like if it was still 
leaning like if people were still leaning into it it made me feel better so i didn't Mm. feel crazy about what had happened to me and my family did you eventually feel like you needed to create some sort of distance from it i mean like i understand especially at that time having an outlet like that but also you know it's complicated right these are people who are paying to see you and like they to have a connection with people where you don't know what they're expecting from the night which is not to say that it's wrong to do what you're doing but like it you know it can create complicated boundaries one might have with their audience. <laughs> Did you ever think about what the relationship you need to have? What is? I, know, think, I, I, I think that's where you 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 make mistakes if you're there to appease them. Yeah. Um, I think that's what the, uh, maybe the difference between content and art to bring it back there. You're there to express yeah. yourself. Yeah. I think it's. I mean, like. Even even the jokes I had in the special about like the hitting kids and like learning from it and the rest of that, like if you were in that room, you can hear a pin drop mm. at one point. And then to release that was so important to me. And just how many kids I grew up with that we just got wailed on by our parents and just it was just something that we went silent about and never talked about again. Yeah. And I think it's funny to bring it up now. Yeah, it's also, there's so much more comedy about why people should hit their kids. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like oh, a yeah. bizarrely popular topic. And thank you, for, thank you for saying that because it's like, yeah, there is a lot of like, it's so weird. It's so weird. And it's like a cheap laugh to me. And it's like, I find it, I, I find it better to do it this way. But like, once again, it had to come out from me mm-hmm. going through something for it to be something. Good. So you're, but you were aware of like, was it a, I imagine that maybe this isn't what you experienced. We're like, oh, I know there's a thing of like, often comedy people, when they talk about hitting kids, they're like, I was hit and that's why I have to keep on doing it. And they don't talk about how it's bad. Were you thinking about, I want to specifically counter that? Or are you just sort of like, these are the things that I'm thinking about as I'm raising this kid? You know, me and my older brother, he was in town this week. He lives in Austin and we were just talking about like, how like, breaking cycles is like the coolest thing that we have yeah we really do like we we're breaking cycles like it's it's crazy and um that have been going on in our families for years so i think that's what i'm just trying to do as a human daily what does it mean to you to be a new york comedian um it means more to me than everybody else honestly um because i'm actually from here you know, it's it, and I think that's what's different. Everybody says, "No, oh, I'm a New York comedian." It's like, no, you're a tourist in my city. Mm-hmm. People, it, it, and it's funny because somebody, uh, people have told me I have a chip on my shoulder for it, and it's like, yeah, I do. Like, why wouldn't I? <laughs> like, I mean, no joke. Like, I grew up not too far. I used to lay carpet mm-hmm. when I was 19. When I started comedy, I was laying carpet. I worked for my buddy's company, Hall's Carpet, out in Long Island, and we used to come into New York City and put down red carpets for events and then take them up the next day. And like, I was basically trying to get my dream while Adrian Grenier fucking walked over my shit. Like, it was just weird. It was crazy. And it was like, one of my boys got fired for yelling at the entourage guys. (laughs) He was like, you wanna see a real motherfucker from Queens? And then he got fired. But I mean, just like, yeah, I do have a chip on my shoulder because like all that stuff I did, I worked at comedy clubs. I I, I painted the ceilings of uh, of a comedy club up mm. on 53rd. Like, so like 
I didn't have a parent that paid for an apartment for me. I used to have to take the F train to the last stop, go back to my house, go live in my basement, come back into the city the next day, half hour bus plus the last stop on the F train. Like there's nothing I haven't done yeah. to try to get my dream going. So I just think, and New York has been with me the whole time. And that's the coolest thing is like seeing like, I mean, my high school won't, won't won't show me no love they really won't it's really crazy i saw them posting up about somebody the other day i was like when am i gonna get on this but uh it's 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 cool to see like the kids that i went to a performing arts school that didn't get to continue mm -hmm. to follow the dream and didn't get to like coming out and being like yo thank you i went to dinner the other day and this kid came up to me and he goes thank you for representing queens and i was like that's that's that means more than me than anything and i was like thank god i tipped this kid well like that would have sucked um what you're describing is i think a, a perspective that i feel like doesn't get voiced very often there's like there's people who are like i didn't know anyone in the entertainment industry it was so foreign i grew up in like oklahoma i grew up in ohio and or there's like my dad is a famous comedian and i also thought of doing it but there is something that i think you capture which is What's it like to grow up near these things but have no access no to them? No access to them. And figuring out like the small ways you can sort of like, well, maybe if I do this fashion show that somehow I'm like. No, nah, it wasn't even that. that. Like yeah. working there would get me no nothing. Like that wasn't like that was just paying my bills yeah, yeah, at yeah. the time. Like I knew just like working like I, I just knew like when I when I took my first job at a comedy club, my deal with the club was that I would get on every single show they had every single night that mm -hmm. I was working. I really wasn't like making much money, but I was learning a lot. Yeah. And I was following guys like Mike Vecchio and Greer Barnes, like killers, mm -hmm. killers, people that like you don't want to be behind. And I was learning. Yeah. I was learning how to do it. And I sat in there for three years. And after those three years, I got my first audition. And after my first audition for another comedy club, I was in every comedy yeah. club in the next month. And I was 23, 24 years old. Well, I think it, I think maybe a better way of putting it is that like there are either people who are insiders or people who just sort of start and they have no sense of what they, you had the experience of being an outsider to a world and having that perspective. And, and which I think causes is my it's part of like what causes a chip on your shoulder in so much as like you see how it's being done and you'd be like, one, I deserve to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that. I can do if I was there, it'd be like this, which I think seemingly shapes a lot of how you view what you want to do that now that you are given opportunities to someone who is on the inside. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's what I love to see. Like there's uh, there's another kid right now, Andre Thompson. He's actually from my neighborhood and he's a beast and he mm -hmm. just got into the cellar and it's just cool to see another kid like me come in. I mean, it's not set up for me and Andre to get the shots, yeah. you know, and he's done Fallon and he's doing things that are great. And um, I think he, he's writing on Charlemagne's new show right now. And it's just cool to see that come out of the neighborhood because I think a lot of us and I, th I think a lot of people feel stuck yeah. where we're from. And that sucks. Do you hope to be able to make that, you know, as you said, it shouldn't be possible for you guys to do it. Do you hope to make it? easier for anyone like do you feel like if you can have the best version of your career that's part of it what helping out yeah yeah i would i mean i yeah that's i mean that's probably one of the best parts about doing this stuff is pointing at the guy underneath that i see and being like hey esty check out or like yeah, yeah. that's the best and 
most of my friends now because all I do is stand up is stand ups. Mm -hmm. So it's just like also getting them opportunity and getting them in places they they probably most likely wouldn't be in. Yeah. Um, I was thinking about the term special recently. And um, do you think this is do you think this special is special? Whatever that means to you. Yeah. Absolutely. What does that mean to you? It's it's I mean, it's a great special. I honestly, I, I, it's a great special. That's all I can say about it. I think it's unbelievable what Judd put into it, what Michael Bonfiglio put into it. Um, There's so many people that, and so many pieces that had to come together to make that. And um, I mean, Mark Selinger to doing the photo, which was crazy. And um, yeah, I just think everything we did, we had our hands fully engulfed in. Like I, I even helped design the stage. Mm. Like that, there, 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 there was a lot of me in that. And our hands were so dirty by the end of it that it was just great. Like, what? So, talk about what great means. Like, what when you designed the stage, what did you want to capture, and what do you feel like it did? I just wanted to like make sure that like I was in the room, not mm. a, not in front of the room. Uh, that was my biggest thing. I didn't want a stage where it was just like people felt there. Mm. I wanted to be inside of it. So that's why we did it that way. And I just think like. Yeah, this special, like this, this, this whole thing, like it's, it's the most personal thing I've ever put out. Um, it's also the hardest working thing I've ever done so far. Yeah. Um, stand up wise. Um, but I just think overall, um, the special, if you really break it down and look into it, it's someone talking from their perspective. That's very like with no agenda other than to be funny and share their story. Mm -hmm. When you, like, I imagine, as you said, you didn't do a half hour, which means you were planning on doing an hour at some point. When you imagined doing an hour however many years ago, what were you hoping from? I'm also somebody that's probably, like, a little bit more strategic than most comics. Yeah. Like, I look at the idea of half hours and really think about what that does for a comic. What does that do for a comic in 2021? Yeah, I mean, especially I mean, especially Comedy Central half hours. I mean, some Netflix half hours like really pan out, but that's a newer thing. Some of them do. Nate, Nate. Well, Nate, yes, but Nate was also coming off half hours that he already did. He already Comedy did full Central. hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I'm okay. just saying, but it did. Uh, but it, it, if it puts you different. in the algorithm, <laughs> if it puts you in the algorithm, sometimes the algorithm tells <laughs> the robot that runs Netflix that like this dude apparently is like. No, Nate, Nate, Nate was a long time coming. I mean, I'll, I mean, I think I'll, some some of the people with the Netflix half hours are those people. They're people who have done hours. I think like Kanane had an hour. There's people who do this instead of an hour because if they, again, it's just assuming if they get in the algorithm, maybe it's the one of those people that the algorithm will be like, yeah, check. No. But the Comedy Central half hour you're just doing to tell clubs that you've been on Comedy Central. Yeah, so uh, that's how. Like, At least now, it used to be. I mean, a I had, deal. I had when I was at the nightly show, we had offers to go do the Adam Divine house party and the rest of that. Dude. Like, I think a lot of no's make your career more than yeses. Yeah. So when you're when you are strategizing, strategizing, when you're strategizing about, I'm going to do an hour. What were you hoping from it? What was your goals with it? And like, what was your sort of abstract ideas? Like, I'm going to do an hour, and it's going to be this. Like, what is the strategy, and then what is it? 
did and you know and then we could talk about if you fulfilled whatever that was but like I, I i i back to what i said my goal and what we did was to tell my story yeah yeah to tell yeah i introduce ricky now on the next special i can go ahead and talk about what the world's going mm. on and the rest of that but this one was like hey i'm ricky velez nice to meet you to yeah. everybody that doesn't know who i am already it's like this is how my brain works yeah so then when i talk about this other thing you can refer back yeah. to like this is why i told you a long time ago <laughs> i was crazy let's get it <laughs> Now it's time for the final segment of the show. It's called the Laughing Round. It's like a lightning round, but okay. uh, because it's a comedy podcast, I call it the Laughing Round. <laughs> you like Mike Kaplan in here? You know, I haven't had to do that explanation in person <laughs> in a while, so it is fun to be like really milk it. Um, so look across the table to add a comedian and it, say it out loud. Yeah, it's one of the great joys in life. <laughs> Not like a jokey joke. I have a favorite like joke that's like a quick one that I like. Sure. It's Gary Veter. Do you know? No. It's amazing. He opens for uh, Nate Bargatze here ah. and there and mm-hmm. uh, Soder. But uh, he said, uh, me and my friends were talking about the Kardashians. And uh, I was like, yeah, did you see Bruce Jenner? And someone went, whoa, 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 whoa. Caitlyn Jenner. And he goes, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm only on season two. <laughs> it's just a good joke. It's just a funny, clean, good joke. He's not caught up yet. It's, it's so that's yeah. Really he's good. one of my. That's like my favorite one. That it, when somebody says tell a joke, that one cracks me up every time. This is similar, but maybe different enough. Which is, is there a joke from another comedian that you saw and wished you can steal? Which you can be like. You know, not stealing that you'd no, caught, I know. Oh, but like wow. you're like, oh, I wish I thought of that, or I wish I can have that, or. Um, I would probably say anything Tony Woods has ever put out. That man makes me laugh so hard, and he's just amazing. Um, oh yeah, I heard this one that was this comic, young kid, and he got on stage and he's like, "Dogs are better than cats," and the crowd just like starts like the cat people are like, "Boo." <laughs> And he goes, you want to argue about it? Show me a video of a veteran coming home from war to his cat. <laughs> and I was like, that's funny. That's that's a great joke. Do you remember who said it? His name is Chip, and uh, he's from Indianapolis. I know that. All right. Chip, the Indianapolis comedian. Um, do you have a short story of an interaction with a legendary comedian, living or dead, that you feel comfortable talking about? Uh, just a short story. Just a little just... time of an interaction. Okay, I'll tell my Jerry story. Yes. <laughs> this one's good. So I uh, get passed at this comedy cellar. I'm 26 years old. Um, Very excited to be there. Uh, and SD had taken a liking to me very, very right away. And uh, my high school I went to, they used to have famous people at the graduation mm. to do speeches. And the first graduation was Jerry Seinfeld. And uh, I'm done with my shows for the night and Jerry is sitting uh, across the room and I go, Esty, he spoke at my high school's first graduation. She, she was like, come with me. And I was like, Jesus Christ, <laughs> like I have drinks in me. I'm about to walk up to Jerry. Mm-hmm. I walk up to Jerry and Esty's like, tell him. And I was like, uh, Jerry, I just want to say thank you. You spoke at my high school's graduation. And he goes, Frank Sinatra School of the Arts. And I go, yeah, how did you remember that? He goes, oh, you think I speak at a lot of high schools? <laughs> I was like, all right. 
my bad, my bad. He's like, when Tony Bennett calls, you show up. And I was like, that's fair. That is fair. But yeah, that's my Jerry story. And it was a cool interaction. He was yeah. really nice. Yeah. Um, do you have any advice for comedians? Um, stay true to who you are. Try to find people that uplift you as much as you uplift them and stay around those people because those people will help you out the most in mm -hmm. the worst times. And, and then, this job is long and it could suck at times, but it's better than laying carpet. Mm -hmm. uh, and then last one, do you have a joke that you thought was really funny, it didn't work, it kept on not working, you maybe <laughs> stopped doing it, but you'll go, to, you'll go to your grave being like, this one was funny and fuck everybody. <laughs> Oh man, this can get me in trouble. Yeah. Well, um, maybe we'll, uh, you can tell whatever yeah. you want. You can decide which, <laughs> at the end of the interview me, how much me. in trouble you want to get. But um, yeah, those happen. <laughs> those happen a lot, and it's just—I I mean, I don't know. I don't want to make light of certain things, but at the same time, I've like—I always like to dance mm -hmm. near the edge, and. Um, no, no, I can't, I can't, I can't. That's why I do com comedy and comedy clubs where they lock up phones, man. Like that's that's for those people, not for not for podcasts. So the jokes that didn't work are the ones that you're like, cool. The line was like ten feet back. No, it's not that the line is there. It's just it's not it's not it's not developed enough yet. Mm. Like I I I never think a joke is dead. Yeah, there's a joke on my hour that. I got told years ago, if you ever tell that, that'll be a problem. You'll never be able to tell that. And it's it, it's one of the hardest hitting jokes on the special. Which is, which? Uh, the Chad joke. Yeah. <laughs> I got talked out of that for a long time. I actually, that's, I've heard that's one of the reasons I didn't get new faces. <laughs> and I, I threw it away for a long time and then it started adding up when I started going into the stuff I wanted to do. And mm -hmm. I was like, oh, and I took it back out my book. And started using it and moving it around, and now it has one of the best uh, callbacks on yeah. it of the special. Great, yeah. The end. Thank you so there much. There we go. That was that was harmless. Yeah, I'm not trying to get. <laughs> <laughs> you did call me a hack. <laughs> no, I. You called yourself a hack, and then I <laughs> imagine I was like I had it. So as a hacky comedian, what is it like? What's it no, like I'm to playing. be? No, I'm playing. That was fun. That was fun. <laughs> That's it for another episode of Good One. Watch Here's Everything on HBO and HBO Max starting on October 23rd. Follow Ricky on Instagram, at Ricky Belev. Good One is produced by myself, Jelani Carter, and Camila Salazar. God Mishrika Shin did our theme song. Write a review and rate the show on Apple Podcasts. Five stars, please. Email any comments, questions, or laughing out suggestions to goodonepodcast at gmail.com or tweet at us at goodonepodcast. I'm Jesse David Fox, and you can follow me at Jesse David Fox. Good One is a production of Vulture in the Box Media Podcast Network. We're back next Thursday. Have a good one. That'd be so funny to be like, you're a hack. But like, <laughs> what's the value of being hacky? <laughs> Support for this episode of Good One came from the Wondery Podcast, WikiHole. WikiHole takes listeners on a wild journey through the most bizarre catacombs of everyone's favorite crowdsourced online encyclopedia. Listen to host Darcy Carden and her funniest comedian friends dive deep into the obscure, the absurd, and the curiously inane. There's truly something for everyone with a taste for oddly fascinating information. Whether you're interested in Crystal Pepsi, Lenny Kravitz, or how Carden's fear of dolphins connects to Stetson hats. Follow WikiHole on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. 
You can listen to WikiHole ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on-brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? <clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. Designed for work.